Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4B uh, <laughs> of the Analytics FC Podcast with myself, Joel Salomon, Bobby Gardner, as per usual, on the other end of the line, and again, a certain Zarius Desai, if you want to introduce yourself, Zarius. Hi guys, um, yep, Zarius Desai, I work for Brentford FC in their first team as their post-match data analyst. Cool, let's uh, jump into it. Our first Twitter question is from Joe Maloney, and that is, what's the most underused slash underrated and overused slash overrated stat in football? Underused or underrated? Um... It's difficult. I tend to I tend to think of my stats on a player level rather than on the uh, on the team level. So I I I like to look at that side of things. I think possibly the most uh, overused, overrated is uh, pass completion. Um, doesn't really tell you much of anything. Uh, unfortunately, it's a it's a very easy stat to understand. Well, saying that I've met a few coaches who weren't able to but which it's it's one of the most common ones um but i don't think it really gives you much into insight into anything um expected goals um is 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 a common theme and it's not necessarily underused but uh underrated maybe or maybe misunderstood uh especially outside of the uh, analysis world um, and, and we could probably do better to teach coaches and players and other staff alike how best to interpret that and um, and away from that just remembering another one one of my favorite ones is uh, is a metric by I can never remember his name but it's called goal impact um, which was a very interesting um, interesting take on how to how to rate players which was um by their if i get this right by their goal difference per minute in the game and they came up with a rating um so it was it was taking a top down approach to um to a player's rating rather than a bottom up approach yeah, it's an adjusted Chapley value that um, basically measures your contribution to goal difference when you're on the pitch versus when you're not. I'm I'm wondering what other advanced metrics you use at Brentford, um, the, the kind of stuff that you wouldn't see on Sky Sports. We're starting to look at the tracking data stuff um, that I mentioned in the last, uh, last episode, which is... Um, using the X and Y data that we get for um, both players and um, both both sets of teams and the ball, um, trying to work out things like the, um, the distances between players uh, for um, on like the convex hull um, of, of the team in terms on transition. Um, various other um, ones similar to the packing data on breaking lines, uh, beginning to look at things like that, um, and then uh, yeah, that's that's and then looking at similar things like race charts for expected goals, um, and, and that's it really. Yeah. Cool. So um, on a similar note, Simon Wigley has kindly asked. 
can you recall an analytical point which has favorably altered an in-game adjustment? Uh, something that you've seen in, in the data or when you're watching the video, um, which has affected on-pitch performance in a positive way, which has, has led you to win more games, that sort of thing. So I, uh, I touched upon this actually um, just in the last podcast as well. Um, this was a, um, it was one of the players that I'd noticed in the in the preseason had um had just he, he just switched off when um when the play, when the play was uh when when the play was going past him and he wasn't recovering quite as quickly and uh and I took that with some video evidence to the coaches and they ended up uh showing it to him and worked on it in training and now he's he's one of the best players at it um so it's about it, that particular one wasn't a data driven one and um and i think it's sometimes important to remember to be able to just have the knowledge that you need of your sport uh to to sometimes identify the, the those kind of key areas and bring it to the attention of whoever needs to have it do you think that with tracking data, you'll ever be at a point where you can automate that process? Absolutely, absolutely. I think, and I think, tracking data is of going to be a very, very big part of the future for, um, for, for 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 first teams and professional football. I think, um, I think modeling it is hard. Um, even now, you're the the finest of details can't be captured. So. If you had, for instance, a cross that was just slightly behind the striker as he goes to head it, as opposed to the ball being perfectly in the right place, it's gonna, it's that that kind of fine detail is gonna be lost. Um, and then at some point in the future, that fine detail will be there, and you'll have perfectly modeled three D worlds um, that are a hundred percent replicas of of the game and. Um, and then at that point, you're going to have to be able to a process that amount of data um, and b make it meaningful. So yeah, it definitely is the future, um, and it's going to take some kind of innovative thinking type of things, like beginning to look at AI um, and really sort of modeling other teams um, in moments and trying to find what is the best patterns where, or even for opposition analysis, if you can get your hands on the data, what are the kind of patterns that are produced by the players off the ball? How are you processing that data? That's, I mean, that in, at the moment, the tracking data is being, I'm doing that kind of side of things. So maybe I'm, I'm not at the level of, I spoke about it just very briefly in my intro last uh, in the last episode. I went and did computer science and artificial intelligence, so I have some knowledge of some of the the concepts that are, could potentially be used, and that's why I'm working on on this. But it's very much in the early stages with getting to grips with actually importing the data. I'm using a combination of JavaScript and HTML and a very good uh, library called D3, um, which is a uh, data visualization library, and um, and I'm trying to work with the data 
in that way. So it is at a high level, um, and and that's that's only the way it's going to go. So for people who do want to kind of get into data analytics, that's the kind of level that we're talking about now and in the near future. That takes us nicely onto our next question. So Tom Warvel asked, what's the one thing that performance analysts should upskill in order to stand out? So virtual reality or data skills, what would you recommend? Um, so I spoke about uh, the difference between an analyst and an uh, data, sorry, a performance analyst and a data analyst. I think if you want to go into data analysts, absolutely. Programming, learn how to program, learn how to um, learn how to, and then this, the critical thinking, learn how to think critically, how to come up with new metrics around the data, learn how to visualize the data in a way that is useful uh, to your staff. If you're going into performance analysis, which is there's more of those jobs in general in the industry than upskill in knowing the sport. That's what I think is the most key thing because you won't get, you'll get, there's nothing like getting traction with a coach by giving them a piece of information that they can understand and agree with. Um, that isn't, and that doesn't necessarily have to be data driven at all. It could be, just you can't you can't give the you can't analyze a sport that you don't understand i don't think so yeah i I think upskilling your sport um if you want to be a performance analyst really learn the details the intricacies um what makes the elite players the elite um and then if you're a data analyst upskilling the programming side of things the data visualization side of things and how to critically think about the game and how to come up with metrics that give the the two percent extra if someone's listening to this podcast and they're interested in performance analysis specifically they want to upskill in their general knowledge of the game as it were how do they go about acquiring that what specifically what knowledge do they need to acquire and perhaps unfortunately how might they signal to coaches and club staff that they have that knowledge? Okay, so in terms of getting the knowledge, there's so many different resources on the web. Um, for starters, there's Spiel. I can't. I can never say it properly. Spiel. Spielberg. Yeah, that's the one. Um, great website for tactical knowledge of football. Um, there's a thousand and one coaching sessions. If you can teach the game, you know the game. So listen like listen to as many different podcasts as you can and then go and i mean time permitting go and volunteer your time with coaches who have played at the highest level go and have conversations with them if you if you can get yourself volunteered time most people will welcome anyone and try and help out people who want to learn as long as you're not overbearing or you know not going in kind of crazily but you can volunteer your time and try to learn, learn from people who've got the experience and take in as many different resources as possible. Going on from that, how do you help show that you've got that level of knowledge is whilst you're volunteering, throw in little tidbits, throw in your two cents worth. Don't be afraid to give your opinion because if you're at a club who if you're at a club who's worth your time your pen, your opinion will be valued but um outside of 
volunteering if you're um if you're a graduate or if you're a professional or if for some other reason volunteering is perhaps not completely suitable uh how else might you give the the signal to coaching staff to get into the game again it's very difficult um i mean jeremy who's uh who's your your guys partner at the club he um he's he seems to think that and i i would agree with him it's difficult with um with not being able to volunteer but he was he used to say go spend some time spend as much time as you possibly can and eventually if you show your worth they'll start putting uh, they'll put you on a salary i think it's actually the fastest way to get yourself a job at a club is spend some time at that club um as much as possible um other than that produce content um if you really want to find find another way in or have like a show reel almost so um get together a few clips from from youtube of of play and then annotate it do some clipping and cutting and uh and put a little two minute video together on you know guardiola style of play or how um how Jurgen Klopp gets Liverpool to press get make a little video showcasing your knowledge and have that as something that you can take with you to places yeah it's interesting how that's helped our little analytics community for better or worse Owen Thomas a lovely Welsh man asks how much involvement do you as an analyst at Brentford have in picking the first team and tactics Uh, and I suppose that could be rephrased to what do you see yourself as responsible for on the pitch uh, and to what extent well in terms of uh, in terms of picking the team it would always be down to the manager but um what's great is that they're always welcoming of um of anyone's opinion so i always feel like my opinion opinions valid and welcomed um i can only ever go in and suggest things um i'd never i'd never sort of i don't think we'd ever dictate as a as a department as myself as my boss um i i, I don't think we'd ever dictate anything um but we can uh, i think each person's views are valid for the manager and then how much the val- those are taken on board and implemented I couldn't honestly say that would be that would be down to the manager to tell you how much he would he takes on board from from each of us um but yeah um and 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 the same thing goes for for even for training and uh and for sort of during the match content uh my boss goes down at half time to he gives his opinion um at what he's seen and what kind of sort of tactical or technical themes that he's he's picked up on during the half and the the manager and him and the assistant manager they go through it for briefly and um and that kind of that's make that that to a certain extent sort of informs the um the halftime team talk but again it's going to ultimately be down to the manager as i believe it should be Jake Kilov asked, are there any interesting stats or actions or tendencies in particular that you look for in defenders and keepers? Again, going back to the the tracking data that we, we're starting to work with and looking at uh, positioning 
on turnovers or um, sort of distances between uh, lines, um, between midfield lines, pardon me, sorry, between um, the defenders themselves. So, yeah, it is very difficult with uh, traditional event data um, and, and that's why you kind of, we're, we're moving into the, the era of tracking data and hopefully into an era where we will be able to better evaluate those kind of players. Your colleague Zahir Shah has asked us, where have bridges been built between analysis and coaching and where is there room to improve? It's a good question from him. <laughs> um, how can it be improved? It, it, I mean, it's still got to improve because I don't think the understanding of analytics versus analysis is uh, is well enough understood to begin with. Um, and the um, at this moment in time, I think the analytics, data analytics community within football is is very young. So really, it's it's about them getting together a body of work um, that can then be translated and be sort of visualized and expressed to coaches in the best possible way so those are the areas that still need to occur I think the understanding has begun to got better or has gotten better in terms of what certain stats mean what certain metrics kind of imply and show and how performance analysis especially on the video side can be used to help the team and that side of things has has gotten a lot better but there is a lot more to do in terms of getting a a very good understanding and some innovative metrics out from the data side and then be translating that to the coaches and then further on to the players. Going back to academy football, Matthew Neal asked, do you have any way of predicting or indicating suitability for first team football for your academy players? So is that still done quite traditionally or is there any statistical modelling done? A lot of it is is traditional. Like I said in the in the last uh, podcast, it's um, for me personally, I, I think you, using data to uh, analyze on an individual player level is, um, is tricky simply because traditional event data, you only capture a very small amount of what they, what they do. Um, I actually I had a prototype um, metric which um was i was I, I i added a subjective value onto every single piece of event data for the last year that i was in the academy um so i just it was it was purely on if there was something about the action that they did that i liked or disliked i'd give them a plus 1 or a minus 1 um or if it was extremely special or incredibly horrible I would uh, give them plus two or minus two. And it so happened that the players who consistently scored higher marks were the ones that were taken on. It was coincidental that data never ended up being used itself. But I feel like it was subjectivity on such a small scale that it became objective in the long run. And it was a subjective, it was an 
objective measure of how good they were subjectively and that kind of that kind of helped uh, and it was something that I'm I'm keen to do again um, I haven't had a chance to do it again but it's something that I think would be a uh, would be a good measure for for the future for for developing players but yeah for for at the moment it's traditional methods for working out um what what are the what are the best ways to get players up into the first team I'm actually quite optimistic about the potential use of subjective data and I think if you took the operation that Zarius has just suggested and you expanded it so maybe you looked at four or five different leagues the only problem that you would have is consistency if you can make sure that it's coded consistently I'd be very interested to use that data to play with that data see what it correlates with yeah it's um sorry just to jump in there but that's actually it's one of the things that I've been kind of passionate about since joining uh, the analysis world which is uh, I, I believe there's a massive place for subjectivity um, used correctly um, and and I felt like this was a good way of by making the amount of subjective data bigger you'd get a you'd, you'd you'd iron out those errors in between and you're right there are times I went back through all of my uh, plus ones and minus one codings at the end of the season and there were there were a few that I was like why did I like why did I like that why did I didn't I like that particular thing on second viewing so there are moments of error but I believe that quality is one of the hardest things to define um, in 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 completely objective terms so why not have a subjective measure because it's we know instinctively what something if a pass is good whether it, and you could break it down in terms of smoothness accuracy um, speed what the situation calls for etc etc but coding all of that getting all of that data you're going to end up with an overload of data and i felt like this subjective measure was just a was a nice way of kind of adding an element of quality level to to my data and our final question for uh, for both of you bobby and zaris um, comes from a certain chris pascali pascali sorry for not being able to pronounce your surname who asks for the amateur fan what is the best way to get into analytics i know this is a question that i'm uh, asked on twitter all the time so for for a lot of our audience i think this one will be particularly interesting so I would recommend starting by being a content consumer. I would be trying to digest all of the analytics coverage that's out there, trying to understand the metrics that are used, the methodology, more just the general, slightly more empirical spirit used to analyze football. Colin Trainer's got a really good list of people on Twitter to follow. I'd read One Short Corner's guide to a lot of the metrics used. And then I think after that, you're naturally going to want to start doing stuff. And so my advice would be twofold. It'd be one, be a content consumer, and then two, become involved, start doing stuff. There may be some problems when it comes to getting data, but hopefully that'll get better in the future and you can do a lot of stuff with really basic metrics. So yeah, I would advise read as much as you can. If you like it, then I would start doing it yourself. That's pretty much um, pretty much a comprehensive answer. Um, I... Uh... 
I, as an analyst, I, um, I still follow the analytics community as much as I can, uh, try to, uh, try to read up on, on things like stats bomb, um, 11 taken 11 is, uh, I, I, I get drawn to good, interesting visualizations and that leads you on. Um, so find, find something that is well presented and then dive deeper. I think, I think whatever, find something that takes your fancy and just dive into it and read. Um, there's, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds of links out there. Um, there's, there's an abundance of resource and it's just a case of picking something and just diving straight in. If uh, if I could give a slightly lazier take, I would honestly just go down my following list on Twitter or Bobby's following list on Twitter or the stats one following list and following everyone. Just just see who interests you. I remember when I first got into football analytics, when I, I guess my generation did predominantly uh, through TED, it would have saved me a lot of time to just know who Mike Goodman was. And the best way to learn who the Mike Goodmans of this world are is just to follow everyone, to follow those top 200-ish uh, football analytics people. And from there, it's quite daunting. Like, you'll, you'll see strange abbreviations and terms like Colin Trainer's PPDA or, or, God forbid, PDO. But you learn with time, and it is... Uh, I don't mean to be too hyperbolic, but but it's a it's a beautiful multidisciplinary community that certainly has changed the way that I watch football. I remember in first year of uni, I used to uh, to to some extent, to differing extents, watch ten to twenty games of football a week, and the way that you watch those matches the way that even at a basic level you think about what matters, what actions are good, what actions are bad. I think completely shifts uh, when you start engaging in this football analytics stuff. And if you're curious about the game, whether you like maths, like uh, empirical stuff or not, I, I thoroughly think it's worth your time. And otherwise, after my little rant there, that's pretty much the end. Uh, I want to say a massive thank you to you, Zaris, for sticking around for not only this podcast, but also the one before. That's great. No, I've been, uh, it's been great talking to you guys and, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hearing uh, hearing what comes next and who comes next. Um, and looking forward to what kind of things you guys come up with. You can follow us on Twitter at AnalyticsFC, at Bobby Gardner for Bobby and at Messy Seconds for myself. Uh, otherwise, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you for the next podcast, which will be with Christopher Clements, the head of scouting and match analysis at the German FA. Until then, see you later.